Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Daniel 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. And the king replied to the astrologers, "Astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces, and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me good gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell us the servants you dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realise that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however, whoever great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of a magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. And skip over 31. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock, while you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue at the feet of the iron and the clay and smashed them. Then the iron of the clay and bronze and silver and gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the earth. So let's pray now. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do uh, come before you uh, in humility knowing that, uh, um, yeah, even though uh, we might not feel uh, 
100% today. Uh, we can come before you and know that uh, you speak to us and you want us to hear you. We get this opportunity, this freedom to come, as, uh, to come together to do church, to do community, to do life uh, around your word. And we're so thankful for that. We're so thankful that we can have your word in our hands. Um, that uh, through uh, history we've seen people stand up for that, that, that it can be translated into our own language and so that we can read it and access it uh, and hear from you. And so we pray as we go through this book of Daniel, Lord, that our hearts will be open to that. Our, our, our minds will, will, will receive it. And Lord, that uh, we'll want to um, be um, responsive to it. We pray that your spirit, Lord, will move our hearts to conviction and to... to uh, and to, to, to grow our character and to be a people who um, make Jesus big in our lives. And so we pray this, Lord, in your son's name. Amen. Uh, let, me guys, let me ask you guys a question uh, to start off. Um, who here likes the idea of working a five-day weekend? No one. Working and having a five-day weekend. Working two days a week and having a five-day weekend. Sorry, that's... I've got baby brain, okay, so I'm just trying, everything that comes out of my mouth is like, who here doesn't like the idea of a five-day weekend? Right. I don't understand you guys. Um, so it's really interesting because if you go back into history, if you go back to the 30s, uh, there was an economist, his name was John Maynard Keynes, right? He predicted that in the 21st century, the time that we're living in now, that we would have a 15-hour work week, 15 hours, like two days a week, and we'd have a five-day weekend by the 21st century. That's what he predicted in the 30s, right? And, and you can imagine why he'd say that, because you, you think by now we'd have robots doing everything for us, Right? would be just, you know, like Wally and stuff, we'd just be chilling and, and uh, yeah, and all that sort of stuff, and we'd just have long weekends, a lot of leisure. Uh, it's really interesting, because that, that idea formed throughout uh, all the 30s and even to the 50s, people were thinking that. But what's happening in 2021? What's happening is we see entrepreneurs like Elon Musk. Do you know what he says about work? I don't know if you looked into his biography or, or even follow him on Twitter or anything. He said that, he tweeted this, no one ever changed the world on a 40-hour week. He believes we must work 80 to 100 hours a week to be productive. Now, that's him, right? That's this entrepreneur, SpaceX, Tesla guy. Uh, imagine that. Imagine working 100 hours a week. You guys wouldn't even be here at church. You wouldn't have time for the church because you just have to hustle. You have to hustle all the time. That's what he does. That's what his life looks like. And, and this culture around us, don't we just always hear that word, hustle? Don't we love the hustle? And it's become this common thing for us. And it's interesting because a lot of you guys didn't put up your hands. Um, but we're so used to the hustle, aren't we? We're so used to being busy. When people ask us, how are you going? We don't say we're good. We say, oh, we're busy. And that's a good thing now, apparently. Overwork to the point of burnout is now a badge of pride in our generation amongst millennials. There's a New York Times article called, Why Do, why do uh, Young People Pretend... Why do... Uh, young people pretend to love work. A and the writer points out how she saw the greatest minds of our generation log an 18-hour workday and caption it on Instagram, hashtag hustle, as if that's a good thing. Boasting. Uh, another article in The Atlantic about the religion of workism. It speaks about how a gener generation is told this, your dream job is out there, so never stop hustling. But really, isn't that a blueprint for spiritual and physical exhaustion? Yet we still strive for it, don't we? 
We're surrounded by the social media, the influencers saying, hustle, just keep hustling, keep hiring. We don't have enough hours in the day. I mean, if Elon Musk is creating life on Mars, what are you doing with your life, right? And so we think like that. We, op- we want to open our own business. We want to become partner of the firm. We want to become the top surgeon in our field. We want to obtain that dream job of our strike gold with our investments, pay off our debts early, retire at, in, in our mid-30s. Our goals, our ambitions, you know, we want to hustle all the time. And, and our goals might not look like just career-wise. It might look relational even. We want to get married by the time we're 25 or 30 or whatever, have a family, raise kids. We want our kids to be super obedient, super smart, high achieving. We have these goals and we hustle and we hurry, never knowing if we'll get there, never knowing what's next and what's left. You know, you keep reading these articles and where we discover that our generation is probably is actually one of the most anxious, one of the most uncertain in all, in all of history. The millennial generation, we're told to hustle, but at the same time, we're left with anxiety because we're trying to find our purpose in our work. We're trying to find peace in our work, realizing that the goals, the things that we're striving for, won't ever give us the peace that we need. We've got to think about this. What's at the heart of all this? When we work and when we, when we find anxiety, it's the control, isn't it? The control of our futures. We find ourselves troubled at night, our hearts perpetually unsettled because we can't, we can't find out, we, we find ourselves faced with the reality that there's just another mountain to climb all the time. There's always circumstances out of our control and the kingdom we're trying to build seems to be so unachievable. Where can we find peace? Where can we find wisdom as we think through our circumstances and our future in the midst of our anxieties in life when people keep telling us, just keep hustling? What we read today, it was just a snippet of chapter 2 and what happens in the narrative of Daniel. Uh, and we're going to fill in, fill in some of the parts that we missed out as we go through the scripture. But God is showing us uh, in this chapter, isn't he, who he is and his power and his majesty and his wisdom, giving us peace, uh, showing us where to find peace and purpose uh, as, as, he, uh, as he explains to us the story of Daniel in this chapter. You'll remember what's happening in the story now, the, the context. Remember last week, chapter 1, uh, the people of God, the the uh, the Jews, Israel, they're now in exile in Babylon. Uh, they've been taken from their home. They're taken to a foreign nation. And this story is about Daniel. He's living, he's, he's living his life in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq in the Middle East now. Uh, Daniel had to assimilate to Babylonian life. This Jewish, young Jewish man had to become a Babylonian. And what we heard last week through the preservation of God, we heard that Daniel was brought into the service of the king. He got promoted to that position He's part of the king's court. That's where we're at in the story. And King Nebuchadnezzar, one of the greatest kings in history, um, uh, has, has called him to be part of his inner circle, essentially. We heard that he didn't compromise his faith, but uh, he stood against the culture around him. He stood in courage and, his faith, and in faith because of his God that he believed in and trusted. Right, as we go through this chapter, we're going to look at the three main characters that come up. We're going to look at King Nebuchadnezzar himself, the great king of Babylon. We're going to look at Daniel and we're going to look at God as we see how God works because he shows up big time in this chapter. How does the chapter start? Let's read it again. Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar, the poor fellow can't sleep. He's got anxiety. Let's go. Verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. And so the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, 
I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream. We will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. All right, we have the king of Babylon here. Right? So the great king of Babylon, one of the greatest in the ancient world, who built a great city. Last week we talked about this, how you can go to the museums, you can see some of his great works uh, in museums around the world. This guy really existed. He's a real person, just like Daniel was as well in the Bible. And so um, you've got this guy who's the king, of the king of this great nation, built a beautiful city. He was reigning on his throne, and he's feeling troubled. He's anxious. He can't sleep at night. Man, the more you have, the more anxious you, you feel. Hey, And so he's got this dream. He's, he's being haunted by it. He needs an interpretation, uh, an explanation. And he gets his magicians, his sorcerers, his astrologers into the room, uh, and he asks them, what's going on? Now, you remember in these ancient cultures, they, they were very superstitious. Uh, the jobs of these, oh, this is quite small, but you can follow along. Uh, their job was to, to read the skies, to read the stars, to, to look at the omens around them, even like animal livers, the shape of an animal liver, and explain what's going on. You know, that's, what, that's what the kind of culture was around them. Now, dreams are a big deal, especially if the dream is repetitive. It would be a big deal. It's, it's, it's trying to tell you something. There's a, there's a prophecy there. Right? And so he gets them in to say, hey, uh, tell me uh, what this dream means. You can, you can sort of imagine what's, what's, what's something similar to our world today about like, getting people in to explain dreams or... I'm thinking horoscopes, right? You know, uh, horoscopes, they're, they're rubbish. Um, but, um, you know, look at the sky and all this mumbo-jumbo. sounds good, feels good, affirms your feelings, right? And I know some of you guys love horoscopes. So I'm telling you, it's rubbish. Um, <laughs> and, of course, you're going to say, oh, Marky, of course you're going to say that. You're a Scorpio. <laughs> but, no, it's, it's true. It's rubbish. I mean, the fortune cookies, it's like fortune cookies, right? The fortune cookies that tell you, you know, you know you're going to find happiness tomorrow. Yeah, cool. That's good. I think fortune cookies are more accurate sometimes because I'm always happy. Now... These ancient astrologers, these magicians, they're doing something like that. They're, they're looking at the patterns in the world. They're making prediction, pred, predictions on what they saw. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, they, 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 he wants to know if these sorcerers, these enchanters, these astrologers, are they the real deal? Do they have truly divine wisdom to interpret dreams? If so, they should be able to tell him what the dream is. Otherwise, if they can't, and this sounds a bit psycho now, he says, if you can't tell me, I'll cut you into pieces. I'll burn down your home, destroy your home. Now, they can't do it, can they? Verse 10 tells us, The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king really furious, angry. He ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. Right? King Nebuchadnezzar, he loses it. Uh, he orders the wise men to be all killed. It's like a, like a baby chucking a tantrum, right? Just kill everyone. Babies don't do that, but they chuck tantrums. And, and we, shouldn't, we, we shouldn't be surprised. How often do we hear things like this? When people are sleep-deprived, they get more anxious. Some of you guys, when we, you feel sleep-deprived, you get more anxiety, don't you? There's huge correlations between sleep and anxiety. You should, we all should sleep. It's good for you. Now, that's probably heightened, but there's also something else happening in his heart, isn't there, that we can see, that we can read. 
his need for control. He's having these dreams, and they're possibly, they're probably prophetic. Now, you're the most powerful person in the world, and you can't understand what is going on with these dreams, and you're worried about your future. If these dreams are prophetic, if they're talking about the future, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my kingdom? Not knowing what this dream means means not having control of your future, and that's driving him literally insane. The fears of not knowing, not having control. Not having control leads to chaos, doesn't it? Not having control even leads to abuse. People are so desperately wanting control that they end up abusing people around them in desperation. And so when things don't go his way, this, this crazy dictator, the solution is kill them all, execute them all. We've got this king who's high-strung, anxious, and ready to execute a bunch of people because he's not getting what he wants. Which brings us to our next character. Let's look at Daniel. Information comes to Daniel. He's at this point in his life. He's in the king's court. He fits into the category of the wise men in the king's court. He and his three Jewish friends are going to be executed along with the wise men. From verse 14, we didn't read this earlier, so let's read it together in your Bibles or on the screen. It says this, When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, at, at this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be ex executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Right, as you read that, we, we're, we're listening to what Daniel's doing and we don't feel that anxiety, do we? There's no hint of panic. And we've got this contrast, don't we? King Nebuchadnezzar, he's troubled. He's stressing out. He wants to kill everyone. But then we have Daniel speaking with wisdom and tact, we're told. Not panicking. Just chilled. Got these chill vibes. He goes to his friends and he goes to them and says, let's bring this matter urgently before God. He, looks at, he seeks out his community, his church community, essentially, and says, let's pray to God together. Let's ask God to explain this to us. Already we're seeing something, aren't we? In Daniel. Yes, there's a mystery about this dream, but Daniel, he goes to God in trust. His life is on the line, but he goes to God in trust because he knows God can reveal this mystery. Where do you go in your anxieties? Again, yesterday we did this training with some of our members here at church, and we thought about this. Uh, who is God and who are we? And I love that Daniel goes to his friends, and while friendship is such a beautiful gift that God gives us, he gives us community and friends uh, to, to talk to and get support from, uh, friends can't always fix a problem, can they? He goes to his friends so they can bring the problem to God together. Sometimes we expect our friends or the church around us to fix all of our problems, but they simply can't. We look to others to solve all our problems, and we expect them to be there 24-7 to solve our, our loneliness and our hurt and our pain. Why do we expect that when they're just human too? They can't be there 24-7. Yes, it's a beautiful gift to have community and friends, but only God is the one who can be there for you all the time. Human beings, we're just finite. God is infinite. He knows all things. And through prayer, not panic, Daniel goes to God with his church, with his community, his people, and God reveals a dream to Daniel. Verse 27, Daniel in his humility and faith, he comes to the king, verse 27, let's read. He comes to the king. Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or divine, diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about but there is a god in heaven 
who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come, your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you are lying in bed are these. Uh, as your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to the things to come, and the reveal of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that, may, that you may understand what went through your mind. Just from that little section there, Daniel's showing us that he has this peace in his heart because he trusts again in the one who reveals mysteries. Pick up some of the things he's saying. He says, I don't have wisdom. I'm acknowledging that. I don't have the wisdom that, that's, that's great. I get my wisdom from God. He himself is so humble, isn't he? But he's also so confident and courageous in the face of execution because he has a God who knows all things. He trusts that. You see what courage looks like here. Courage looks like humility. Courage looks like humility that you and I won't know all the answers and have all the wisdom. It's okay to say, I don't know sometimes. Putting your faith in God for our source of wisdom, man, that is strength. To the rest of the world, being the king of Babylon looks like strength. He's the most powerful guy in the world. He, but you know, this poor little man can't sleep at night. He's in fear, troubled by his dream, trying to find wisdom from magicians and astrologers, other finite, limited, puny human beings. Someone needs to tell him, right? Go tell Nebuchadnezzar he's searching for it in the wrong places. Look to God for wisdom and peace. That's where you'll find strength. That's where you'll find courage. Daniel puts his trust in the God who reveals mysteries. Now, this is so key as we turn to God, understanding the, the God that Daniel puts his trust in, understanding God's role in all this. Because again, we heard this last week, Daniel's book isn't so much about Daniel, is it? It's about the God Daniel worships. And so we heard earlier in our reading about the dream. Right? Nick read it for us earlier. Uh, from chapter 2, verse 31, there's a statue in the dream. The head is made of gold. The chest and arms are made of silver. The belly and the thighs are made of bronze. The legs of iron and the feet of part iron, part clay. And then there's a big rock that comes and it smashes the statue. It crumbles and falls to pieces. That's the dream. Daniel interprets the dream for us. And as he interprets the dream, we discover that each part of that body, that statue, represents kingdoms and kings that reign. He, says, he talks about the first one, the top, which is gold, being the kingdom of Babylon. Being the kingdom of Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. From verse 37, I have it on the screen, I think, as well. Uh, do I have it on the screen? I'm going to read it to you. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler of them all. You are that head of gold. Imagine that. Imagine you're the king right now and you hear this about the dream. You are the head of gold. King of kings. Man, Nebuchadnezzar. Sorry, what? Can you say that again? The most precious part, the gold, but that's me? <laughs> Imagine that. All my problems have now disappeared. I can sleep well at night now. I'm chill. And there's a side note, right? But Babylon was actually known to have one of the greatest riches of gold, like, like great riches of gold, sorry. And, and, and there's this Greek historian, Herodotus, who, who visited Babylon during the time, and he, he, he wrote that down in his, in his notes. He said that Nebuchadnezzar sat on a throne made of gold itself. So interesting, isn't it? God shows Nebuchadnezzar that he is the one at the top of the statue, the gold, the, the richest part. That is his kingdom. 
But let's think about the other kingdom as well. If we stand from our perspective in 2021, right, 2021, and you look back, most commentators and scholars agree that this prophecy was fulfilled, that each one represents a kingdom in history that we've seen rise and fall just like Babylon. This dream was fulfilled. It was prophetic because the kingdom after Babylon, remember what it was? It's going to come up later in Daniel. The one of silver, it's been identified as the Persian kingdom, the kingdom of the Persian, of Persia, uh, ruled by King Xerxes. You'll find that in chapter 5 of Daniel. Who's, who's watched 300, uh, the movie Heidi has? Um, and so, you know, that movie about 300 is about King Xerxes trying to uh, take over more, you know, more, uh, uh, to create a bigger empire and kingdom, right? And that's, that's what happened in history. Persia came after Babylon. The bronze part, it represents the Greek empire, we're told, where, ruled under, where, where uh, Alexander the Great ruled. And, and it's actually said, this is interesting, I read this up, or I read this uh, in my readings, but it said that he used bronze in his armor. He started using bronze in the way that they, they go to war and stuff. So the part's bronze. Interesting. Uh, and then the iron legs represent the Roman Empire. And some say, why is it iron? Because it's the strongest metal of them all. And if we know Rome, we'll know it, it was one of the most powerful in history. It reigned for 500 years. That's, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because Babylon only reigned for 70 years, yet Babylon is the one of gold. Iron, the, the, one, uh, the, Rome, the Roman Empire, lasted for 500 years. Now, this theory, I think it fits neatly. I do, I do agree with it. The theory fits neatly because the rock comes at the end of that after the Romans and smashes all other kingdoms to bits. The, the rock that, wasn't cut out, that was cut out not by human hands. The rock that God wants us to know is the kingdom of God. He wants us to be aware of this. Verse 34, let's read it together. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Yes, King Nebuchadnezzar, you'll be great for now but there'll be one that is even far greater, not made from human hands, and this kingdom will fill the whole earth. And let's keep reading verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another, uh, other people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. That's what God wants King Nebuchadnezzar to see. That's what Daniel wants us, the reader, to know. There'll be a great kingdom, far greater than any earthly empire, any earthly king, any human king will reign over. And now, if you're Israel, if you're a Jewish person reading Daniel, you've heard about this rock before. You've heard about this stone that, that's, that, that's going to be raised up. Genesis 49, I've got this on the screen for us. Genesis 49, 24, it says, But his bow remained steady, his strong arm stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, the Messiah that is to come. Right? The rock of Israel. Psalm 122 talks about the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's really important because Jesus is going to mention that psalm later. We hear about it in the New Testament. Uh, I've got it, I think, on the next screen. In Matthew 21, this is uh, when Jesus comes onto the scene. 
he's speaking to uh, the Pharisees about uh, a, a parable, and he uses this. He says this at the end of the parable: "The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes." Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it will fall will be crushed. Nebuchadnezzar is having a dream of a stone that's come and it's going to knock down a statue. All throughout the Bible, we keep hearing about a stone that's going to be the kingdom of God that's going to come. How crazy is that? The kingdom has come. The stone was small. It smashed and crushed the statue. Jesus is that cornerstone. The sorcerers, the magicians, astrologers, do you remember what they said? They said to the king in verse 11, remember what they said? They said, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Guess what? There is one who can reveal mysteries, who is the source of wisdom, the son of God who himself walked and lived among humans. Wow. He's the stone that crushed kingdoms. And we know that from his little church of 12 disciples, right? His little community, Jesus' kingdom expanded and grew to thousands. Jesus' kingdom expanded so that we today can sit here in our chairs in Sunnybank, part of Providence Church, and worship Jesus together. To Israel, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. Bring the gospel to the ends of the world. That now today there are Christians all around the globe who called Jesus their Lord and their King. God's kingdom has been established. That's the vision. That's the dream God gave to Nebuchadnezzar. It's a dream that we get to read today in the book of Daniel where we can look back and see how that prophecy actually played out in history with great empires like Persia and Greece and Rome. And we can see that Christianity came after that. And we can see that Christianity came and didn't stay small. We can see that the, the Roman emperor himself in the 300s, Emperor Constantine, became a Christian, and he announced the whole Roman Empire to become the Holy Roman Empire under Christ. And that today, even 2,000 years after Jesus, we can still see the fruit of God's kingdom. We can still see the fruit of, of Jesus, his ministry, and his teachings around the world. How, how crazy is that? It blows my mind. I mean, there's this book that I've just started reading. I haven't finished it yet, but there's a book called Dominion, The Making of the Western Mind. It's by a historian called Tom Holland, not Spider-Man. He's an historian called Tom Holland. He isn't a Christian, but he writes about how Christianity has made today's Western world, the freedoms we get to enjoy, the idea of healthcare and public hospitals and education, the, the human rights and justices that we fight for. We don't live under dictators in the West. We have dem democratic freedoms. We have the right to independence. We have access to truth, not censorship. We don't traffic human beings as slaves. We value human life. We, we welcome different ethnicities and cultures. We, don't, we hate racism. That's the idea of the Western mind, at least. And, and, and the idea we all, and there's this idea, right, that every human being should have and know love. The Western mind, it's been shaped by Christian thought. No, let's correct that. It, it's been shaped by Jesus Christ himself. The Western mind has been shaped by Jesus Christ the King, the one who reigns over his eternal kingdom. See, here's the thing. There are nations where there are leaders who are building their kingdoms. 
dictators who are ruling with their iron fist. You know, we constantly pray for, for our brothers and sisters in, in places like, like, like North Korea that's being ruled by a dictator, an evil dictator. And while they might rule for a lifetime, God is actually sovereign over it all. Those kingdoms and those little kings, they just become footnotes in history. A couple of thousand years later, and people will remember Hitler like we remember Nebuchadnezzar. The Taliban who, who, uh, who rule through terror will be smashed. You see, what we hear from Daniel in chapter 2 is a prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. It indicates to us that the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the arrival of the great kingdom that Israel was waiting for. This king didn't come on a chariot of gold or iron or bronze with his army behind him. He came in weakness. He came to serve as a human, to love, to show compassion, to reach sinners like you and I, sacrificing his life on a Roman cross. Humans in need of salvation. He defeats sin and death itself, raised from the dead to defeat death, revealing to us how powerful he truly is. None of the kings could defeat death, but Jesus does. And through that, he announces the kingdom that has come, the kingdom that will start as a stone and grow to a mountain and fill the whole earth. It's come. We get to be part of that kingdom today. So let's get real with ourselves. While we might think God is talking to Babylon and the pagan kings out there, there's something also we need to realize. The truth is, when it comes to us, we spend all our lives, don't we, building our own little kingdoms, don't we? We want control of our destiny. We, 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 we all want to be captains of our soul, masters of our fate, and we dismiss God and God's power. We hustle and we dream and we're left anxious and uncertain, never knowing what the future holds. We have those sleepless nights, those troubled thoughts. Where can we find peace for our hearts that our hearts so desperately long for? Look to this God that Daniel praises. Let's, can I, I want to read this again, verse 27, 28. Let's read it. It says, Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery. Let's hold on to that. There is a God in heaven. His name is Jesus, who reigns supreme, who is in control, who knows all things, past, present, future, in the palm of his hands. He knows all things. Why are we so anxious about building our kingdoms and we get to enjoy and soak forever with him in his kingdom? The kingdom that's been secured for us in the gospel. One day we get to enter into that kingdom, into, into heaven. And I don't want you to think of heaven as pearly gates in the clouds. No, heaven is heaven because we get to be in the presence of the king. That's what heaven is, in the presence of Jesus, the king who is the source of wisdom, the king who is the source of joy and peace and security, where we get to soak in his love. What more do we need? What more could this temporary world and our temporary kingdoms offer us? It's so short-lived, isn't it? See that the perfect wisdom of our God is far greater than ours. Let's live life under his sovereign reign. We need to get off our thrones. You know, we want to be king over our lives, but when we try to rule, we find ourselves failing again and again, don't we? We find ourselves facing obstacles that we can't control or fix by our finite abilities. We find ourselves haunted by trauma we can't cure on our own. 
We implement strategies to have control of the financial market, strategies to control our emotion, strategy to control our environment around us. But we find ourselves, we find that that control is just shallow, isn't it? Temporary or even an illusion. The anxiety is so real in our generation. Nothing is ever enough. Nothing will ever satisfy. But we keep trying to build that house of cards. We, we build it hoping that it won't fall down, but then the wind blows and we're back at square one. We keep hopelessly trying to build these sandcastles on the shore, but the, wave keep, the waves keep coming and keep knocking it down. We, fit, we felt the disappointment, haven't we? We've all felt it. I know I felt it. The disappointment of, of messy relationships, of unfulfilled dreams, of loneliness, of sickness, of things simply not going our way. We so desperately want to achieve and hustle and kick goals, but then we're confronted with a harsh reality. We're human. Yes, we're human. But there is a God in heaven. His name is Jesus. And he is the king who reigns forever. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that he reigns. Because he is such a better king than I'll ever be. I praise God because of Jesus. I can have the hope of being in heaven, in his kingdom with him, and there I'll find comfort and peace for my brittle, fragile, discontent heart. You see, I read, I, I, I read this the other day uh, online. I saw a meme. <laughs> but the Puritan, Richard Baxter, right? He, was, he lived during the 1600s. He's a theologian. He said this, can, can a man be at a fire and not be warm? Or in the sunshine and not have light? Can your heart be in heaven and not have comfort? And isn't that what Jesus promised us? When we put our faith in him as king, we will be in God's kingdom, in God's presence in heaven, where all mercies and love flow, where comfort and peace will be ours forever. Oh, friends, will you put your trust in him? Will you put your trust in him for his plans over your life? Will you let him reign and be king, supreme over your heart? Will you seek him for guidance, standing firm in faith, even when the kings of the culture tell you that your life will be wasted if you follow him? Ultimately, we need to realize something. The confronting truth is your life is either going to be built on his kingdom or some temporary one, some temporary one that will eventually be crushed by it. Eternity is a long time. Step back and see the greater picture, the bigger vision. You and I were made for another world where our hearts will have peace forever. Let's be captivated, captivated by that vision of a greater kingdom. And when you find yourself in life, like this situation with King Nebuchadnezzar, when there are people around you in Babylon, right, in our world around us, in Babylon, people around you in your workplaces, in your social clubs, your running groups, your badminton clubs, your volleyball friends, right? I know you guys all do that. When they say to you, Mikey, I'm not sure where my life is going. I haven't been sleeping while I'm anxious about my future. Help me to understand, what am I supposed to do with my life? When they share with you that helplessness, there's your opportunity. Tell them about Jesus. In a world that says, keep hustling and hurrying and kicking goals, and it's fed to a generation that is marked by anxiety and depression and control and burnout, tell them about God's wisdom in Jesus the peace and rest we have in Christ. Be an instrument of grace, a mouthpiece like Daniel is. Tell them about the God who is in heaven, the God who reigns. 
the God who reveals the mysteries and longings of our hearts and points us to himself as the one who will ultimately satisfy our every thirst. You can be courageous and confident because we know this God. We know this God has been there for us at the cross, where by grace all our sin and guilt was removed. Do you believe this? If you are a self-professing Christian in the room, do you believe this about the king? Do you worship him as king? Is he your Lord? Do you seek him out for wisdom? Daniel praised the God of heavens. In verse 20 of chapter 2, we read this. I really want to finish with these words from Daniel. He says this, May the name of God be praised forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. You see, when God revealed himself and his wisdom to Daniel, what did it lead to? It led to praise. It led to worship. I've said this so many times here, right? The revelation leads us to worship. The more we know about God, the more we are led to worship. Theology leads us to doxology. The knowledge of God, that's what it means. The knowledge of God, the study of God, leads us to the worship and praise of God. Let's keep knowing this God. Let's keep knowing the greatness of who he is so that we can be led to a worship and praise of his name. There's a poem written in the 1800s by Percy B. Shelley. It's known as Ozymandias. Have you guys ever heard of this poem, Ozymandias? Right? One person. The name given to a great king, it's the name uh, given to a great king. It speaks about a traveler crossing an ancient desert who comes across two vast and trunkless legs of stone, right? Legs coming out of the ground, rising from the desert sand. And near these legs, from the, sand, from the sand, protruding from the sand, is a half-sunken head, the statue's head, with this menacing face. And on the pedestal, there's an inscription that reads this, and this is in the poem. It says this, My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty in despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. We can keep building our kingdoms and hoping we'll make a mark in history like every king before us. But there's only one kingdom that remains and one king that will reign forever. Will you see Jesus for who he is? Yeah, sure, have goals in life. You can hustle if you want. But lay down the need for control, the anxieties that come with it. Lay it before his feet. Turn to him. Repent and believe. The kingdom of God is here. Let's pray. Oh, Father, Lord, we come before you and helpless and, uh, and un- uncertain, often anxious even. Lord, we come before you knowing that we're not in control of our lives, of our destiny. And Lord, we can hustle and we can work hard. And then, but Lord, we know that you're the one who's in control ultimately. You're the king whose kingdom reigns forever. Lord, we pray that you help us to see you for who you truly are. Help us to come to you for the perfect wisdom that comes from from your hand. Help us to uh, see Jesus as the one uh, who has come and walked before us, the one who has come and revealed uh, the greatest mysteries of life and, and who you are, the good and great God. Help us to see Jesus for who he is, the king who's on the throne in heaven. And Lord, may we live under his reign as our king. And we pray, Lord, Uh, for this uh, in your son's glorious name. Amen.